Welcome to the third segment of this month's The First Fill podcast. I am Q Nguyen, Director of Content here at APHA and your host for today's topic. I'll touch on common drug classes and their potential underlying pathophysiologic impact on patients having surgery. So the decision to hold medications prior to surgery is based on a multifaceted assessment of the patient's medical history, the planned surgical procedure, and the pharmacologic properties of the drug or drugs involved. Medications that may impact hemostasis, cardiovascular stability, or the risk of adverse drug interactions are of particular concern. And not that this is in alphabetical order, but let's start with anticoagulants. Most will jump to warfarin and direct oral anticoagulants, or DOACs, for consideration to discontinue due to the inhibition of clotting factors, which elevate the risk of uncontrolled bleeding during surgery. And similarly, antiplatelet agents like aspirin and clopidogrel um, impact platelet aggregation, so this can lead to prolonged bleeding times. Of course, certain cardiac procedures might necessitate these agents to be maintained, so this calls for an understanding, again, of the patient, the type of surgery, and the bleeding risk of their patients. Here, beta blockers also fall in this category as their continuation depends on the type of surgery and the patient's risk or let's say experiencing a myocardial infarction. So if the patient has a high risk, it may be recommended to continue their beta blocker. For others, there may be a concern that having beta blockers on board before a surgery or procedure could lead to a reduction in heart rate and cardiac output, potentially leading to hypotension and decreased tissue perfusion. For NSAIDs, whether for pain or inflammation management, NSAIDs can interfere with hemostasis and renal function, making them a concern when given prior to surgery. Holding NSAIDs before surgery reduces the risk of impaired clotting and intraoperative bleeding. Considerations for medications for pain, anxiety, and depression, nicotine, alcohol, marijuana, and those related products apply as well since the use of any of these medications can affect your heart rate, your blood pressure, and or your pain control during and after your procedure. So now we'll jump to medications that treat diabetes. Oral hypoglycemic agents and insulin therapy require special consideration. That's all safe for now since we only have five minutes and not five hours, but I did want to spend a little bit of time touching on SGLT2 inhibitors as well as glucagon-like peptide 1 receptor agonists or GLP1 um, receptor agonists. So looking at our SGLT2 inhibitors, these should generally be discontinued at least three days, maybe more prior to surgery to minimize the risk of diabetic ketoacidosis that occurs after surgery. Of course, with holding these agents, blood glucose levels should be carefully monitored after discontinuation, making sure that um, the patient's diabetes is managed appropriately with alternate methods prior to surgery and after surgery where, where needed. Glucagon-like peptide 1 receptor agonists are popular in the management of type 2 diabetes because of their potent anti-diabetic, weight loss, and cardiovascular benefits. They exert their antihypoglycemic effects through increased insulin production in a glucose-dependent manner along with glucagon suppression and also cause delayed gastric emptying. Like SGLT2 inhibitors, the decision to hold GLP1 receptor agonists should be well-coordinated between the medical and surgical teams. These agents in and of themselves are associated with adverse GI effects such as nausea and vomiting. 
but you combine that with delayed gastric emptying, there are concerns that there are risks of regurgitation and pulmonary aspiration of gastric contents during general anesthesia and deep sedation. Though this is limited to only, well not only, but to several case reports, the recommendations are enforced for any indication, whether GLP-1-RAs are being used um, for diabetes or weight loss. The doses should be held prior to surgery and all dose, this applies to all dose ranges as well. For those patients who are on GLP-1-RAs who require urgent or emergent procedures, the patients are treated as quote unquote full stomach and they're managed accordingly. Now, moving on to estrogen therapy, this, well, estrogen therapy introduces its own set of considerations due to the risk factors for venous thromboembolism, especially for those taking high-dose estrogen. So we know that surgery itself is a prothrombotic state, and so the addition of estrogen therapy can further elevate the risk for BTE and DVTs, deep vein thrombosis, as well as pulmonary embolisms or PEs. In addition, supraphysiologic levels of estrogen can impair wound healing as well as metabolism of certain anesthetic agents. It's important to consider the risk of VTE as well as the benefits of pregnancy prevention or hormonal therapy and compliance with alternative forms of, let's say, contraception. When looking at the use of selective estrogen receptor modulators like tamoxifen, we have to think about that along with hormonal replacement therapy, and this includes gender-affirming hormonal therapy. Really, this is um, a really important discussion that needs to be taken <clears throat> with the providers, as thoughtful consideration should always be applied. Beyond traditional medications, herbal supplements also warrant consideration. We have garlic, we have ginkgo biloba, ginseng, turmeric, and others that impact platelet aggregation and clotting. Now, St. John's Ward, comes up all the time, right? There are a slew of drug-drug interactions due to its impact on liver enzyme activity, even the well-known antioxidants like vitamin E come into focus. While it offers potential benefits, vitamin E can impact platelet function and coagulation factors, potentially increasing the risk of bleeding during surgery. Vitamin actually also interferes with aspirin and warfarin, so definitely an important consideration when we think about drug-drug interactions. The decision to hold medications before surgery should always involve a collaborative discussion among patients, healthcare providers, surgeons, and pharmacists, all essential parties for making informed decisions. So thank you so much for tuning into this episode. I hope this discussion reinforced the intricate considerations surrounding medication management in the perioperative setting and serves as a nice refresher on agents like vitamin E, GLP-1-RAs, and estrogen. Thank you so much.